This episode is brought to you by The Wellness Summit, the one day that can change your life. Go to www.thewellnesssummit.com for more information. TheWellnessCoach.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat, featuring Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Hi, everyone, and welcome. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are most important to you. I'm Kim Morrison. I'm Cindy O'Meara. And I'm Karen Smith. And this week, we're going to talk to you about an amazing debate, nature versus nurture. Tell us, Cindy, what do you think that means? Well, in my realm of of what we do, which is food uh, and health, there is a real thing right at the moment that your genes will define you as far as your health goes. So if you have cancer, it's because of your genes. If you have heart disease, it's because of your genes. If you have all these new things, everything's got a gene to it. Do you know diabetes has a 63 genes that you can have for this? Breast cancer, I think we're at five at the moment. So if you have a belief that your genes dictate the rest of your life, then forget even bothering to change your diet. It's not going to make any difference. Don't bother exercising. Don't bother trying to improve your lifestyle. Use great cosmetics. Choose, you know, use your mind because that's not going to make any difference. So my thing is, is that when you have that belief, then what's the point in changing anything? So the belief dictates your actions. So what I'd like to do is discuss, is it nature versus nurture for our health? Is it nature versus nurture as to whether we become depressed or... You know, or can we do a 24-hour marathon? So I, I just would, I think it'd be a great discussion to do, a great debate. And so, so if I turn around and say to you, um, you know, Cindy, my grandmother died at 49 years of age from a heart attack, I could say, if I had that typical orthodox way of thinking, that, oh, my gosh, there's a chance I could die at 49 of a heart attack. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And that's genetic then. Yeah, and it may not be 49, but it'll just say to you, well, your grandmother or your mother had a heart attack at 49, so a lot of doctors and a lot of people say, well, you better go on cholesterol-lowering tablets because the likelihood of you having one is far greater because your mother or your grandmother had it. Well, it's interesting you should say that, actually, because um, I went to... I had chest pains, and I went to the doctor, and the doctor said to me, he asked me if I had breast cancer in my family. And I said, no, I had no cancer in my family, not on my dad's side or my mum's side. And he ruled it out instantly. Didn't even feel for lumps or anything. He ruled it out instantly. And he actually said that it was muscular. Gave me Voltaren anti-inflammatory gel to put on my chest and sent me home. And, and then on that note, when I was young and training as an athlete, they did a whole analysis on me, these doctors, <clears> these <throat> sports scientists. And I actually was almost at 100% physical health, well-being, everything. And then he turned around and he said, has anyone died in your family from a heart attack? And I went, oh, yes, my grandmother oh, and my father's mother, uh, father's father. And then he said, has anyone had cancer? And I said, no, I don't think we've had cancer. And all of a sudden, my, low, my marks just dropped. And yet I was going, but it's not me. I was really confused, but I was young, so I just took their advice. So what would you say to someone who then goes, oh, my gosh, maybe I need to go on drugs to lower my mm. cholesterol or how do I stop myself getting, I'm actually now in fear mode if I'm really honest I'm now freaked out I might or I could die or I will die of a heart attack at 49 well what's happening at the moment is that young girls are being told that they have um, the gene for cancer because their mother may have had it or grandmother or aunt or sister or you know it, it doesn't matter where it is in the family they go well you may have the gene now if they show the gene for cancer, they will advise a double mastectomy and then breast augmentation. So people are are purposely removing their breasts, even though they haven't got cancer, they are doing it in case they get it. That's right. Yeah, I had a girl who I used to work with who had that. She was told that she had a gene for cancer and because she had three young kids, she got both of her breasts removed, though there was no indication that she had breast cancer. She was just told that she had the gene for it because her grandmother and her great-grandmother had um, had, had it. It's a belief. And a lot of scientists will say it's not a belief. It's actually, we know this. <clears throat> but when you actually look at the statistics behind this, they, they say that, this is what they say, by the age of 70, if you have the gene for breast cancer, you have an 80% chance of getting cancer. 
by the age of 70. Or, okay. you know, you're 22 at this point. And it may not just be the breast. It may be somewhere else. Mm. But the possibility of being the breast is far greater if you have this gene. And I, I, when I look at those statistics and I look at a young 21, 22-year-old girl who believes that that is her only hope, then of course, and she hasn't looked at any other you know, things that she can look at, whether it is the environment or whether it is the gene that's going to cause it, they will go in for a, a lot of girls are going in for double mastectomies. I mean, wow. am, I, am I different though? Like, if I was told at 22, like I, like I was, I was in my early 20s when I was told I'd probably get a heart attack, I could get a heart attack. And then I just went, why? Why should I? How come? If someone told me I had both my breasts off, I'm sorry, I don't know if I'd do it. But people are doing it. Well, my question was this. I said, well, if you were told you had the gene for prostate cancer, would you take your prostate out? If you have the gene for bowel cancer, are you going to take your bowel out? Do you see? Then mm. I don't get... And some a lady actually said to me, but the breasts are... are they're nothing. They're, there's nothing... We don't do anything with them. They don't... They ask, aren't anything for us. Ask my husband. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think he'd disagree. I think he would disagree, actually. <laughs> Trust you. This is where we nurture <clears throat> our babies. You know, and some people who have had breast augmentation cannot even breastfeed their babies. So it's not just about removing the breast, but it's the augmentation that can cause this problem. And if you want children and you want... And that's another topic you know, that we mm. can talk about at a later date. But if you want children, what the breastfeeding versus just giving them a bottle, is there's huge differences in the health of the children. Let me ask a dumb question. There are no dumb questions in these podcasts. You know that, Karen. Oh, well, (laughs) it could be. Let's just see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, I'll be the first one to go with a dumb question. But, I mean, isn't it true that we all have cancer present in our bodies? It's just whether it's active or not active? Cancer does come and go for many of us. And there's a book out called Lights Out by T.S. Wiley. She actually talks about the purpose of cancer in the body, that it actually does serve a purpose. For the life of me, I can't remember exactly what it is, and I'll, I'd probably have to go and reread the book again. But she explains the reason why we get cancer. So cancers come and go all the time. And that's another thing that there's questioning about, is these, when we, when we have at the age of 50, I got my letter the age of 50, I got a letter to, to tell me that it was time for me to have my first breast squash, you know, my ultrasound or mammograms. Mm. Oh. And I just ripped up the letter because I wasn't going to do it. And then the second one arrived, which was 51, and I went, well, I'm not going to do it, so I threw it out. And then the, the, the third one arrived at 52. So I actually rang them and just said, I don't really, I'm not going to do it. You might as well stop reminding me because I just don't wish to do it because I had read a lot of information on it and it basically said that not in all cases but in some cases when we find there's a cancer in the breast it may be a a, a cancer that may disappear and we go into uh, fear, we we become very fearful of it, we want it taken out, we get it taken out and then we, we give chemo and radiation and then you may have lymphoma in the arm. So they're actually saying that the tests may, you know, be telling us that we've got breast cancer, but this breast cancer might be a very small one that could leave. We don't know. There's a, a, a gentleman, um, he works at Bond University, and he actually has done a whole study on this. And the study is to, to show, well, perhaps all this prevent, preventative tests that we're doing are causing more problems than not. Now, I know this is really controversial. Mm-hmm. And everybody needs to do what they feel is, is the best thing to do. But for me, once I'd read all the information and, and really understood it all, I just went, well, I won't be having a breast exam. Because I kind of go, well, if they're going to squash my breast, why can't they squ- squash the men's, you know, what? Mm. You know, why, why, why has breast cancer become such a big thing when prostate cancer is, is, is a big thing? And, and so is bowel cancer. And, and you know, now we're, we're getting tests for bowel cancer, but bowel cancer comes and goes as well. Cancers do come and go, like you said, Karen. Cindy, I mean, you are somebody that I would definitely say is an amazing researcher. You you don't just flippantly make comments and you have got a science background and you have got a nutritional degree and all of these things. So there's a lot of us out here that 
we won't have the ability, the time, the intention to research the way you do. So your words become very important to those of us that want to believe and follow you. And there's heaps of us. How do we then talk to the people that are next to us or around us that go, what do you mean you're not going to have a mammogram? What do you mean you're not going to get immunised? What do you mean you won't use radiation for a form of cancer treatment? Um, and then you are made very much to feel wrong in these situations. What do you say to those people? How do we protect ourselves? I think it's about being informed. And what do I say to, to people like that? You know, that basically I just say, look, this is the information and this is why I based my decision is because of this information. You, you can read this information, you can do the research yourself, but one thing I won't do is have blind faith in the medical scientific community. Because if we have blind faith in them, then I think we're, we're actually crazy. But that's an interesting point in itself. I don't have a degree. I have a number of diplomas and I've done a lot of research my own self. But if I make a comment like that, then I have the intellectual university world saying, well, who are you? You haven't got a degree. How can you make such a, state, such a statement? What I've noticed with watching someone like you, though, who makes a statement... You even get poo-hooed, is that a word? Um, you get poo-hooed by your peers, by fellow science, knowledge people. So what are you saying to them? One day somebody says it's carbs that are causing the problem, the next day they say, no, it's the fat. And then it's the opposite. And then eggs are no good and then they're good. And in the end, I think you almost have to have a philosophy about what you do in your life and what you, you do about your life and what you eat and what you consume and how you deal with these types of things. So I, I have a philosophy, and the, the philosophy is holism or vitalism as opposed to mechanism or reductionism. So reductionism says you've got the gene for breast cancer we need to take your breast off because you have an 80% chance of having breast cancer before the age of 70. Whereas if I look at holism or vitalism, yes, you have the gene for breast cancer, but let's look at what else is in your environment and in your world and in your life and, and, and let's not just focus on the breast and that cancer or that, that gene, let's focus on what is possible. And to me, you know, if you, go, if you have a heart problem, you go to a cardiologist if you have um, arthritis, you go to a rheumatologist. If you have uh, hormone problems such as thyroid um, or you can't, can't have children, you go to an endocrinologist. So we have all these specialists that we go to. And my question is this. Was well, the heart separated from the rest of the body? Or is the thyroid separated from the rest of the body? How can we just look at one segment? So what I do in my philosophy is that I actually look at the heart is connected to the rest of the body, which is connected to other people and other relationships to the rest of the world and what's happening in it. So that's, it's all about environment in that way. So I actually have to base all of my uh, yeses or nos on, on what I agree with and what I don't agree with, with with a philosophy. Because if I don't have a philosophy, I'm going to be swayed by every scientific article out there. And everybody contradicts everybody else. Mm. It blows me away. Whenever I look it up, I kind of go... Well, this guy's saying this and this guy's saying that. How can two things be the same? Right. I was working with a, um, a doctor and he was learning to speak in public and I was coaching him how, on, on how to you know, create presentations and to speak in public. And he um, was at the point where he was actually ready to start speaking for the general public, to, to warn the general public, to start thinking outside of the medical practitioner's office. He said, because the medical practitioner, and he was one, or he is one, and he was explaining the way that doctors were um, educated throughout university. And he said, and the education process is very linear and it's also very um, isolated in terms of it only looks at the heart or it only looks at the throat or the ears or the eyes or the teeth or, you know, it only looks at certain aspects and it puts it in a box and then when somebody presents with a problem that relates to the heart that doesn't fit in that certain box, then the doctor is beyond his capabilities to be able to diagnose, which is why now we're being sent for so many tests. Every time somebody sneezes, we go for an ECG, an EEG, a CAT scan, 
all the different um, tests because the doctors actually are well and truly outside of their ability to diagnose anything that goes wrong with us because now, I mean, I believe, and this is just my view on it, but now we're dealing with a whole conundrum of, of illnesses and diseases that are so far beyond what the ancient textbooks have taught our doctors and our medical um, fraternity. They just they don't know how to deal with it. And because the environment is an influencing factor and because the mindset is an influencing factor, yet their box doesn't cater for that, it all of a sudden throws a whole spanner in the works as to how they, they treat us. That's why we walk out with the antibiotics. No matter what the problem is, we walk out with antibiotics. Now, my partner, Matt, went in for a um, swollen toe, and I thought it was an ingrown toenail. You know, he walks out with two prescriptions for two different antibiotics. Mm. Mm. So, what do you do? Yeah, and, and what happens at that point is that they, they see bacteria as, as a disease, and... All bacteria is basically, they just want to get rid of it. So we have this, this stuff we put on our hands to sanitize our hands. We have antibacterial washers. We have all of these things. Mm, mm. Because they believe that environment needs to be pure and clean. When in actual fact, that environment we need. We need that to help our immune system. So if, if Matt comes into me, let's say, and, and I'm discussing you know, his toe with me, I, I would say, all right, well, obviously your immune system's down. You wouldn't say you need a toe job? I'm just, I'm just asking. <laughs> just a asking. toe job? I'm just Who asking. are you? Sorry, sorry. That just went into my head then. Where sorry. did that carry on? on? Yeah, I'm interested. So, uh, okay, well, we could say, you know, we could say, well, you know, do you have a relationship problem there? <laughs> <laughs> is make sure they're sleeping better, get their nutrition into them. You know, there could be a point when the toe does need that, you know, antibiotics, but that's going to be life-threatening. Why does a small infection, why do we have to take antibiotics for a small infection? Let's look at the whole environment of what's happening around him and his body. Why is his immune system down? Did he have a late night? Is he, is he, you know, is there something in it? Is there a piece of glass in it? There's so many things to look at. It was bourbon. You see, there we go. It was bourbon. And he blames the caramel in the bourbon. <laughs> he says it's that that leaves him with the hangover. Oh, the hangover! I was thinking, is that what caused the toe? <laughs> no, oh. that, would, that would make his immune system down. Oh, it was the right. bourbon that he had. Sorry, I'm with you. <laughs> okay. I where she was. No, I, got, oh, I hope some other listeners with me there because I was totally on the. My God, bourbon causes broken big toes, swollen toes. No, seriously. But I hear you on that with the immune system, and I like that. But the same thing happened to me just recently, having my wisdom teeth out. He accidentally apparently nicked my sinuses while he was trying to get my uppers out oh, no. and well apparently it's common it took it was meant to take 15 minutes i was in there for an hour apparently they were the hardest uppers to remove but his first thing by the time and i was a bit traumatized i'll be honest because i wasn't knocked out for it i just did local um i'm not someone who takes a lot of drugs or i hadn't i couldn't tell you the last time i've had antibiotics but you know if it's life-threatening like you're saying i will this you know i'll do yeah. what's right but the first thing the nurse said to me when I sat up was, and here's your prescription for antibiotics. And I said, oh, why would I take them? And she was actually stunned that I even asked the question. And she goes, well, you could have an infection. So then I sat there going, but I went, but what if I don't? And she goes, well, it's precautionary. It's really important. I said, oh, to save you guys. Like, I, was, I wasn't trying to be rude. I just said to save you guys having a, an issue with someone coming back with an infection, which makes it look like it's your fault. So you're doing this as a precautionary thing. And she said, yeah. And I said, so what if I don't want to take them? She goes, well, don't take them. But you ha- we have to give you the prescription. See, the question I would then ask is I say, okay, well, it, it's a preventative measure. Then what is the, the ramifications of me taking these antibiotics on my bowel flora, which will be two years? Mm. Two years it takes the bowel flora after one prescription of antibiotics to get it back. You know, like this is all part of the environment. We don't realise that 10 times our body cells is actually bacteria mm-hmm. uh, or microorganisms. We are actually in a most beautiful symbiotic relationship with them. They make vitamin D6 and, and K, um, vitamin K for us. They do all these things for us and we destroy them with antibiotics. So my number one question would be, okay, if it's a preventative, then what about my bowel bacteria? It's going to take two years for them to recover. Why, why would I do it as a preventative? If I'm in a life-threatening situation, get it. I've got to do it. The other one I would ask is, what is it going to do 
to the rest of my microbiomes, which is the microorganisms that live with me in harmony, what's it going to do to them? And how's that then going to be a ramification on my body for the next two, three, four, five years of my life? And we're not asking these questions. We're, we're just going, it's an infection, take the antibiotic. The body isn't black and white like that. Do you think the doctors know the answer to these questions? No, they don't. They have n- no. They, the, the thing is, microorganism, bacteria, destroy it. And then they destroy everything else in the path. But then they'll tell you to take my lantern if you've got an upset tummy or they'll give you, they'll tell you to go and buy a chemical or a, a, a probiotic of some sort. They, they might go that far. But they still don't talk about the long-term effects. They don't tell us what these things... I've never been told that by a doctor. No, they probably, or I could get thrush is what I've been told. Well, they, they just don't know. But it's, it's like when, um, you know, a, a person, I won't say who exactly it was, this person rings me up who I'm very close to. And she says, I think I have thrush. I've been told I should just take a pill and get a cream. And I said to her, you have three choices here, darling. The first choice is, is that you can take no responsibility for where you are right now. And you can go to a doctor, take a pill to take something away. You can do that. Or your second choice is that you can go to a naturopath. And you can assume a little bit of responsibility, but not enough where he will give you a bunch of vitamins and minerals. So, you know, the pills are by the medical, you know, the medical fraternity, the natural therapies, they usually give you vitamins and minerals. Or you can take total responsibility for where you are right now. Know that it's your environment around you that's causes. Probably you haven't been sleeping very well. You're probably doing university like it's going crazy. You are probably staying out late and probably drinking and not eating right. Am I right here? And she said, yes. And I said to her, all right, well, there's your three choices. You choose which one you want. And so I hung up. A couple of days later, I called her back. And I said, what was your choice? And she said, I chose three. Oh, nice. She took total responsibility for where she was at. And she decided to make green smoothies for herself, had good night's sleep, studied only to a certain hour, did everything that she needed to do to get her body, the holistic part of her body, to work on that area. So I think you're bringing up a big point though here. We're an impatient society. We want, we've got a problem, we want to fix it. So I don't think we can blame the doctors. I I don't think it's right to blame everybody or to look at the medical or or scientific world as blame. They're feeding a need and the need is people haven't got time to be sick, they haven't got time to be, have thrush, they haven't got time for a sore toe, we haven't got time for, you know, life's busy. So my belief is also that we need, you just hit the nail on the head, we need to take responsibility, number three, take responsibility, stop demanding of our doctors to fix us, and that's what we are expecting, we expect to be fixed. Um, and how do we change that mentality, though, do you think? Is it a mindset thing? Is it a, is it a physical thing? Is it an educational thing? Like, what is it? Well, like I said, it's your beliefs mm. uh, that will dictate your actions. So if you have a belief that the bacteria is bad or that you have the genes for this and that you'll have to take cholesterol-lying tablets or you've got a poor immune system because your grandmother had a poor immune system or your mother, then your belief will dictate your actions. And your actions will be to go to somebody, take no responsibility for yourself because you've been given the genes by your parents, there's nothing you can do about it, go to your doctor to get something, to take something away. Or you can take responsibility for uh, what's happening and you can change your environment. And the environment is changing the food that you consume, the things you put on your skin, your mind, everything. You have to look at your whole environment. Mm. And I I think, like, we we decided to do nature versus nurture, and it just, it creates so many new avenues. But let's, let's get back to our belief system about it and maybe get the listeners to really think about these questions that we're going to ask them. So one of the questions would be if... uh, you looked in the environment, and like last year in America, we had millions of fish just die. Mm. Ended up in the marinas of California. Yeah. And if I asked both of you, do you think that that was a genetic issue? That they had this predisposition to just all die and, and it was a mass kill? Or do you think it was an environmental issue? That our oceans are sick and there's too much chemicals in our oceans and that's what happened. Now, which would you consider it would be? Personally, I'd be looking at environmental. I mean, knowing what I know of what's in fish and what's happening out there, I would go environment. I'd go environment every day, absolutely. So you believe that we would have saved the fish if our 
our waters weren't as polluted as they are. For sure. Absolutely. So what about, we, you know, we have the Tasmanian devil. Since 1996, the Tasmanian devil has had this weird facial cancer. And it's decimating them. They're actually thinking about bringing the Tasmanian devil onto the mainland, taking it out of Tasmania, um, the ones that don't have this cancer, because they're going, we're going, to, they're going to be extinct. So the question is this. Do you think it's a genetic predisposition that these devils have cancer to, for a mass kill, or do you think that it could be what's happening in Tasmania with forests and using chemicals on, it, on the land? You know, what would you think it is, environmental... Well, I think you're talking to a couple of people that follow your beliefs, and so I, I think we'd both be of the realm that I'd be looking at environment first and foremost. And, you know, it doesn't matter who I ask that question to, most of them always say environment. Yeah, I think you'd find that to be true. I mean, when you look at external factors that affect the quality of life for an animal or for a human, or you see that there's a quality of life that's been affected, it's, it's hard to say that that's genetic when it's not happening to every single one. It's hard to say that that's, that's nature when, if it was nature, you would expect to see it prevalent in, every, in everyone. And everywhere. That's right. And when you don't see that, I, 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 to me it points straight to environment. So our belief, if, you, if I asked you any question about these extinctions and the mass kills and the cancers and the infertility like the koalas in um, southeast Queensland only 50% of females are having babies if I was to ask any of any about any animal how do we save them everybody would always say let's clean the environment up absolutely absolutely but when we look at humans we actually have a different we, we, we believe in something completely different we actually believe that the environment has nothing to do with our maiming disease or mass death. Mm. Which and is why they're saying, take your breasts off, they think it's genetic. Yes. Yeah. Or it's why they're saying that ovarian cancer is genetic. Or I find it really funny how we know that if we change the environment of the animal, mm. we can save it. But if we change the environment of the human, we can't save it. Yet we are animals living on this planet doing exactly the same things having the same vertebrate cell system, microbiomes, everything. We are like animals. Mm. Yet we can clean the animals up, but the humans, we'll just give them drugs and we'll just cut their breasts off or we'll cut out their bowels or they're doomed to have dementia or they're doomed to have Alzheimer's or whatever it is. This is, this is where I find the disparity. We've, we've lost our way. Our belief system is it's genes and it's not environment. No, I, I will disagree with you on one thing. I don't think we're doing what the animals are doing all the time. I don't see animals walking into a supermarket buying a packaged piece of food that has no nutritional value to it. I don't see animals smoking cigarettes. I don't see animals drinking alcohol. So, I'll, I, you know, and you know where I'm going with this, that I feel um, that's perhaps, is there like a white noise, let's not talk about this, um, there's nothing wrong with our supermarkets, there's nothing wrong with our food system, there's nothing wrong with us drinking or having social cigarettes, maybe. Um, there's all this sort of thing. So then my question, I go, I'm sitting here going, well, the only thing that points to all that is money. Like, it's, it's money-making stuff, all this stuff. I mean, animals don't make money either. So if we strip it back to environment, then none of that would matter. And if we were stripping it back to environment for humans, we wouldn't be buying so much processed, microwavable, um, inorganic type of food and we would be looking at those things more, more carefully so how do we judge that how do we create a new mindset around human beings looking at the environment rather than it being genetic how do we change that I think that there's another point on that though you know you think of humans we whether we like it or not there's a level of there's a level inside of all of us that believes that we're immortal and there's that aspect of ourselves that thinks, oh, that'll never happen to us. Mm. That'll never happen to us. And when there's so much progress tied up in humans consuming, you know, even whey, you know, whey products, they can't get rid of it, so they put it into, into, into foods. So that humans consuming um, products, there's this level of, well, you know, we're immortal, we'll, we can handle it, the body can handle anything, people can do anything and they can handle anything. And then you've got all the big money-making organisations behind it all, driving it, pharmaceutical companies and your big monopolies and your conglomerates. They're all behind the push for progress and the push for speed and the push for growth and the push for more and greater consumption. And they can only do that through genetic enhancements and so on. 
But then, and so that's, you know, that's from the human perspective. But when you look at it from an animal's perspective, it's almost like the human steps in. The humans are the one who's, the, you know, the ones who care for the animals. They're the ones who actually see all of this happening for the Tas Tasmanian devils and the animals. And then the human steps in and says, "Radio, well, they can't do it for themselves. We'll do it for them. We'll alter their environment. We'll take them out of Tasmania and bring them onto the mainland. We'll do whatever we need to do to, to halt the um, extinction because we believe that the animal can't think for itself and it can't act for itself. Therefore, we, it needs us to help it. But we won't do that for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So there's two things that are just, you know, like blaring alarm bells for me. There's the thing that, you know, yeah, you're bang on with it being mm -hmm. driven by money and consumerism. Mm -hmm. But then the other aspect around that is if we can do this for animals, how come we can't do it for ourselves? Is there an aspect of self-loathing? Is there an aspect of I'm not worthy, it doesn't matter? Is there an aspect, like, on the very, very deepest unconscious of humanity that we really are just part of a statistic in some way? Mm. Mm. You know, people get breast cancer and they become a, a statistic. People get, you know, syphilis and they become a statistic. You know, is there something around that for humans that we just accept that? rather than saying, well, we'll do that for animals, but we won't do that for ourselves? Mm. I think What's it's missing? Belief. It's a belief. Mm. It's a belief that we can help the animals by changing their environment, their food, you know, not giving them soya pellets or whatever. Mm. But we have a belief that that doesn't happen to us. That... But the statistics are showing it does. So, in other words, that we are getting sick or there is yeah, more illness yes. and there is more disease and yet we're still not listening. No, we're not listening at all. And, and I think it's the media. And what the media does is it blasts out every time there's a genetic discovery. It blasts out. We've now just found the fifth gene for breast cancer. We've now just found a gene for Alzheimer's. we found a gene for... So all of a sudden, all the responsibility of us having Alzheimer's, dementia, breast cancer, whatever, is taken away from us. Because it's our parents' fault. We're, we're actually laying blame mm -hmm. on our genes instead of taking the responsibility and making the changes, not only for the animals, but for ourselves as well. And when we're talking about the environment for humans and animals, it's what we consume, what we put on our skin, what is around our environment, you know, even what's in our house, the chemicals we use in our house, what we shampoo our hair with. So if we start to make all these changes where we take away all the chemicals out of our environment, we actually clean up our environment and, and we can actually help ourselves. We can take total responsibility for what we've got. So if I was mm. to say to you, okay, we're all hearing, we're all with you, it's environment, we've got to take responsibility, it's our own belief system, it's understanding we can ask questions and challenge the medical scientific fraternities. What would be your, have you got two, three, five steps that you'd give us on how we could... Um, you know, I, I just want, how, how can I take action if I'm a little bit confused or I'm believing everything I'm hearing, I want to do what you're saying, I agree with the environment. What would be some of the key things that we could each share with, with our listeners about steps that they can take to start creating an awareness around this? Okay, do you want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. So what I, I would, and, and I can't give you everything, but what I can give you is just a snippet of what can be done so that because I did anthropology through university, my whole philosophy is based on the evolution of man's eating. So everything that we consume, we should be consuming from our history. And you have a look. Breakfast cereals, additives, preserves and flavorings, modified milks, margarine, even the bread that we consume, pastas, um, lean cuisines, you know, those types of food have nothing to do with our environmental food past. Nothing. Mm -hmm. They are all new foods. They've got everything in there that makes you think it's a food, but it's actually not. And all we have to do is go back to our basic, our basic eating, the way we used to eat. And it's not hard. And, uh, you know, over, over time we'll discuss how we can do that. So for me, that's what I would do, is it? I would start with the food, what we're consuming. That would be for me. Mm. What about you, Karen? Um, well, because I'm very much around the mindset and how the mind and the body are connected, for me, I would suggest that the person has to look at their own individual experience and start to recognise that we're not just a, t a statistic and we're not just one of the masses. 
we can be if that's our choice, but we also do have the choice to make conscious decisions for ourselves as to what's going to be right for us. And it's a case of saying, I am worthy of organic spinach and I am worthy of an organic carrot and I'm worthy of those things. And yes, it might be more expensive, but I am worthy. And it's, I guess for me, I think even when I look at my own experiences, I think to myself, it's taken me a while to come around to eating more healthily and understanding that my head and my mind and my body are actually connected because I've always just looked at the mind more so than the body and I've just let the body go do its own thing because I've been so interested in the mind and psychology. But now I'm starting to see how, um, how intricately woven the mind and the body actually is in that when I believe that I am the master of my destiny, I am the master of my health and I am the master of my ability to be at peak performance, when I had that belief system and I believe that I don't have to follow the masses, then all of a sudden I feel this incredible sense of empowerment where I can make choices that are the right choices for me and I know they're right because I feel it. You know, I was just saying to Kim off air that um, I ran seven kilometers on the weekend and I've never, ever in my entire life, as much as I've wanted to, been able to run that Thunderous far. round of applause. Thunderous <laughs> round of applause. Yes, yes, yes. I will get to the 24 hours eventually, <laughs> one day. But, but, you know, just to be able to know that my body could do that was extraordinary for me. But I know that my body can do that now because I've made very conscious choices based on when I'm looking at my, you know, my, my love affair with chocolate, Cadbury's, and then I'm also looking at the chocolate that I make for myself, and I have one in one hand and one in the other, I make a decision based on what's the most loving choice for me, rather than what is going to make me feel better. I look at what's the most loving choice for me, because from a mindset perspective, if I'm loving myself, I'm going to give myself the food that's going to fuel me, so then I can go out and run 10 kilometers tomorrow, or 20 kilometers. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make a food choice that I know, based on my education from Cindy, is made out of plastics, chemicals, um, preservatives, additives, and nothing actually real that's come from the land that sustains us. So for me, it's about, it's about having the right mindset and knowing that I deserve it. Mm. So basically, you've changed your environment, your internal environment, by the foods you're eating. Totally. Which allows you to now run 7K. Totally. 100%. And I can, I, I can, I would lay my house on it because I've done everything over the last 20 years because running has always been a passion. And for the last 20 years, I've done everything I possibly could. I've had the protein bars. I've had the protein shakes. Mm-hmm. I've done all of the low-fat, no-fat, light, all of that. And now, if you know, obviously because my house is being cleaned out by Cindy and Kim, um, <laughs> now you won't find any of that in my cupboards. But for the first time at the age of 42, I can do that. And to me, that just screams volumes. But I had to actually get to the place where I loved myself enough to take that stand and to take that responsibility. I had to get to that place. So for me, it's always about coming back to um, the mindset the person's got. And it's about what self-belief is all about. And that you're good enough for this. And that I'm good enough, and hell yeah. I think, too, it comes down, if, if we were to ask any audience, what are the two biggest reasons why we don't look after ourselves or eat well or mm. do the right things? I get it everywhere, all around the world. The two biggest reasons that come up are time and money. And I always agree. I listen to them and I say, I understand, I hear you, I hear you. And then I turn around and go, but actually, I think it's BS. I think it's garbage. Because really, if it was about time and money... Um, let me put it to you this way. If you had the life of one of your loved ones, a child perhaps, or a mother, or someone you loved absolutely dearly, and in order for their life-threatening illness to be gone, you had to have a massage a week for the rest of the year, you had to eat only organic food, you had to exercise every day, maybe if it was only 10 minutes. If someone said to you, that's the choice, I need you to do these three things every week, uh, or every day even, or um, they're going to (laughs) die... We know what the decision would be. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. No brainer. So yeah. I sit there and I go, so it's not time and money. And so when people say to me, you know, but organic food's so expensive or chemical-free skincare costs more, I go, compared to what? Like there is no comparison when you're eating well and eating good foods and, and looking after yourself. And you are an absolute example 
of what that different mindset and therefore different choices has now had a physical outcome that you've desired. Mm. I also think, I mean, my personal thing would be is, you know, to keep it really simple. And, and I guess the way I do this and when I teach things is how would I teach my child this? How do I make it that simple that my child gets it? And I think for me, the thing is, it's about a chemical assault. I, I, I think, I feel that we are constantly bombarded with chemicals in all realms and don't even realise. The, the classic scenario I get from people, and you'll probably relate to this, is, oh, they wouldn't put it in there if it was bad for you. Um, <laughs> oh, bless. Yeah, but it's true, isn't it? People say, oh, I don't know if you get it. I get it all the time. Why would they put it in there if it was bad for you? And so I question, you know, the accumulation effect. Some of us are more sensitive than others. So I say to my kids, when it comes to food, and there's a multitude of chemicals that we know are harmful or questionable in food, but I'll give them two big ones. I'll say if it's got 631 or if it's got 951, it's a no-go. They're in a lot of foods, particularly kids' foods. So that was my first step, you know, with them. And then when it comes to skincare, if I see the word paraben or if I see SLS or DEA or TEA or PEG, they're just some of the initials that I know are the questionable additives. So I'll say to my kids, if we see any of those numbers or things or we don't know what it is, then it's a no-go. So that, to me, is a very simple step on how to get back in touch with, with nature and our environment. And, you know, my grandma used to wash her face with a homemade, beautiful... Rose, you know, she had rosehip oil and lavender. That was that was her whole skincare regime, and she lived to ninety five. She also ate three meat, three meat, three veg and meat for dinner. I mean, she might have boiled the heck out of her veggies, but it was meat and three veg. It was a really simple, basic diet. She she even to her dying day said to me, "Kim, I could never touch margarine." She goes, "Why? Why would I not trust cows that have been around for, for thousands of years?" You know, she goes, "It's it's cream and and salt. That's butter." So we never had. Uh, we only ever had, should I say, homemade biscuits. We never had cakes or things that were bought. And I love your analogy, Cindy, on, on food like this, that um, and people go, oh, well, I thought cakes were bad or sugar's bad or I shouldn't have cream or I shouldn't have chocolate or I shouldn't... But what you've taught me and what I've loved around and where Karen and I just absolutely revel in what you talk about is I'm not saying don't eat. You're not saying you can't have these treats. You're not saying deprive or diet or... Or, or, or keep away from it. You're just saying, let's eat real. What, what do you mean when you say eat real or eat real food? I think what you brought up um, with, we look at food and, and you look at um, skincare and you look at, if it's got you know the numbers that you said you didn't like or the parabens or things like that, we're so in this belief that what they put onto, into our skincare or, or into our food, that it, we're in this belief that they would do that. Mm. The thing is, they don't know. They don't know what's safe and what's not. And a real food is a food that has come from the ground, from a plant, not from a chemical laboratory. So let's just go back to these chemicals, because this is all part of our environment and what we eat, etc. When uh, Rachel Carson put out her book, Silent Spring, which was the 1960s, it was seen as a bit heretical, but what she was basically saying was that when we put one chemical into a spring, we know the impact of it, and it's quite powerful, the impact of it, and it could be that the humans that drink from the spring might get sick, and the animals might die, and the plants might get sick, and we might destroy plants, and then it cascades down the, down the river. She says when we put two chemicals into a spring, we actually don't know the ramifications. Because two chemicals that we actually know the ramifications of, when we put them together, they become tenfold. Mm -hmm. So once upon a time, I used to say, well, it's okay to have, you know, these are the 40 that I I said to people, don't have these additives at all because it affects your environment. But now I realise how science actually tests chemicals for, for cosmetics as well as for our food. And this is the way they do it. They pick one chemical, they give it to a mouse, they feed it to the mouse or put it on the skin of a mouse until that mouse gets sick. Then they bring it back saying this is a safe level that we can have, which is fair enough. You know, they just figure it out as far as kilos go. Not unless you're the mouse. Yeah, (laughs) it's a problem when you're the mouse. So then they say this is a safe chemical or a safe additive or something that we can put in our, our skincare or whatever. In the last couple of years, they've decided to get two safe chemicals, put them together, feed them to the mouse and see what happens. And what they're finding, two safe chemicals put together and fed to a mouse are dangerously toxic. 
So I now look at it, if it's got a chemical name, in, I don't touch it. I won't go near it. And so a real food is a food that doesn't have a chemical name. <laughs> that, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that you makes know, so much read sense. Your invi- read your ingredients, have a look, and know that we actually don't know the ramifications of two additives in our food. And you point out any cosmetic or any food that has only two. You know, I think they're getting clever, though. Because now we're, I think science is becoming aware of this and that we're becoming a little bit more educated. So now they're taking it to another level where you'll see something like, um, in brackets, coconut derived or, you, you, know, you know what I'm saying? So Nature identical. Nature identical. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's where I think now then there's another level of confusion. Or, well, I'm you... confused because I thought that was okay. When they say coconut derived or plant derived in brackets, that's not okay? Well, often it could have it can come from the plant, but the chemical process it goes through in order to get it into that product totally denatures, disrupts, and destroys what oh. that original food source was. Um, and now, so what you're actually getting—they're just being clear. It's clever marketing. It's, clever. it's just clever wow. marketing. So you're not actually getting on the skin or into your tummy the original food source. And, and that's probably a really good definition as far as real food. Make sure it hasn't been derived from nature. You want it from nature, mm. not derived from nature. Like, there's so many things now that are derived from nature or nature identical. But I, I know this, that when they were giving out vitamins and minerals 20, 30 years ago, they said, we have a complete vitamin and mineral package for you. This is everything the body needs. And then about five years later, they discovered that there were these things called phytonutrients. And every year they discover some new nutrient. So they put in a capsule uh, something that they say is nature identical. This is exactly what an apple would have in it or exactly what something else would have in it. But there are things intrinsically we haven't discovered yet. And I never trust. I trust nature. I don't trust a chemical laboratory. Mm. Yes, they're wonderful and there's some great things and there's some good research out there. I don't completely get upset with them. But when they try and say, we can do better than nature, we have the technology, you know, we have the mind power to do this, I think they're a bit egotistical. Mm. That's the way I look at it. So for anything, you, if you want a real food, you've got to start looking at... Real food. Real food, not derived, but it is that. It is, like coconut oil. Get the whole coconut oil. You know, don't get the derived process of it. So, okay, so I've got another question for okay. you. So now we're going to go and eat real food. So I go to the supermarket, and one piece of advice I love that you've given years and years ago is perhaps walk around the outside of your supermarket. Forget the inner aisles, right? And it's great because you've got your bakery, you've got your meat and fish, you've got your dairy products um, all around the outside of the supermarket. Brilliant. Now I walk up to the bakery, which is all freshly baked on the premises. It makes it fresh. And then I pick up the, the package, and it goes all hot-baked bread buns or whatever, and I look at the ingredients, and it ain't nature it, it, it ain't nature as far as I can see some of those names I don't even recognize I might see wheat or I might see something in there that I recognize but there's a whole lot of other numbers so now I'm starting to doubt whether I should walk around the outside of a supermarket um, I go to the fruit section of my supermarket if I'm in a hurry and I pick up these beautiful shiny apples and um, perfect bananas and and so I think we're even having to take another step more now and saying that perhaps there's Perhaps uh, markets, would, would that be a better option? Look, it would be. The thing as I look at is that let's walk before we run. Mm. Let's run before we can, you know, sprint. Mm. And some people who are listening may just be starting on this journey. And yes, go to the farmer's markets, they're great. But if all you have in your town, because you live in a mining town or you live in a, in a place where there are no farmer's markets and there is a grocery store, then become aware of what you're, you're buying in your grocery store and, and be a, you know, a, an outside shopper. You know, shop on the outer part of it. Don't go in and out of the aisles. At least start there. Mm. And, then, and then there are other things that we can do. But we've got to take it step by step. You know, I, I know when I, I, I speak and I start saying all this stuff, I realise that some people it just blows their mind and they go... I can't do it, it's too hard, and they don't do anything. Mm. So it doesn't matter, as long as it's from nature, as long as it's a real apple and not uh, an Mm. apple-flavoured jelly. Yes, that's a good point. Good (laughs) point. 
Mm. It is hard, and it's and I think it particularly being a mother of young children who are seduced daily with television ads saying eat this food, you'll become an Iron Man, or mm-hmm. um, you know these drink diet soft drinks and you'll look unbelievably fit, healthy, gorgeous, you'll attract hunks all your life and you'll just live this unbelievably fantastic life. That's what they're saying. You know, I, I look at it with my children. They're becoming savvy. I love it. And I think it's the ripple effect that, you know, if, if you're a parent, then yes, or, or the owner of animals, I think sometimes we're better at looking after them than sometimes we are ourselves. And I think um, if we can become the ripple effect of that, if we can make better choices within our family and and my kids now sit there, they'll watch an ad on TV and they'll go, oh, that is such a load of codswobble. Mum, did you hear that? And I love it. I love the fact that my daughter stood up in her, in her science class and challenged the nutrition, the, the um, what is it, home ec teacher, on what was a natural ingredient. And she had this white flour and Taylor was going, well, actually, I don't agree with you. We, we should be getting whole wheat. We should be grinding it ourselves. Do you have a machine called a Thermomix? Do you do it yourself? <laughs> oh, God, like, love it. You know, like, and I love it. I love that you don't realise how much is getting in. So I think you're right with baby steps because sometimes I think we all blow everyone away with, mm-hmm. with the things that we've got to share because this is years and years of knowledge and research. But I, I love your point. Bring it back to baby steps. Bring it back to baby steps. And I had a really good example of this recently is I was in my local grocery store and... I don't go in there a lot, but every now and then I need something out of the grocery store because I am a farmer's market. I love farmer's markets, and I, I like to go to those places. But I went in there, and I saw one of the checkout ladies who's been there the whole time that store's been open, and I've been here 20-something years. And I walked... I, I saw her, and I went, my gosh, she's looking good. So I walked through her aisle. I made sure I was... You know, I waited for her. I walked in, and I said, you are looking amazing. <laughs> I said, your skin looks fabulous. You look like you've lost half of your body. I said, what did you do? She said, I gave up Diet Coke. Oh, wow. That's what she did. She gave up Diet Coke a year ago. And because her daughter is gluten intolerant, they created a gluten-free lifestyle. And you should have seen her. Her skin, she looked like she'd used 20 years. And because she was half her body size, she she probably would have been 70 kilos at that, maybe 60, maybe even 60 kilos. She's a shorter lady. And I just... I just thought one baby step did that for her. Mm. And she was just beaming. Mm. And so it is baby steps. We don't need to take a lot. And the first baby step in this nature versus nurture is to really think about, do I have, can I take responsibility for myself and my health? Can, are there some things that I can change to change my environment both internally with my food and externally with my body as well as what, you know, what do I need to change in my mindset in order to make sure that I do change my environment so that I can change my genetic potential. We actually know that food changes genetic potential. I've known, I wrote that in my first book back in 1998. So we've actually known this for a long time. So why do we, can, can, you know, all the time keep going on and on and on that it, you're doomed from the start, there's nothing you can do about it, you, you get your breast taken off, get whatever it is taken off, or do you take that responsibility and say, I can change. I don't have to do what my mother and my grandmother has done. Because what's passed down is culture and tradition. And culture and tradition that's being passed down at the moment is we have breakfast cereals, modified milks. We use all these extravagant cosmetics that are full of chemicals. That's what's being passed down. It's not about your genes. Change that culture and tradition in your family of, you know, getting rid of all these chemicals and, and you can change your genetic potential. And one of the things that is, is growing in our science fields at the moment is something called epigenetics. And epigenetics is actually telling us now that it is the environment that triggers the gene. So the gene is actually the loaded gun. The environment is the trigger. Mm. Don't let it be triggered, it will never go off. Mm. So we actually do know this. And I found this really funny. I was... Um, I always am going through the scientific research and the, the, the whole genome project, they said that 97% of the genes are junk and we know what the other 3% do. We've actually figured out the human body. So they said 97% was junk, 3% we know what it's all about. Well, just recently they've created a new project called the ENCODE and the ENCODE is to figure out what the 97% do and they found out that actually they're not junk. They're actually the trigger to the genes. Mm. and they have their trigger which is the environment 97% of the genes are triggers to 3% of our genes Mm. so if you have the BRAC genes which is the breast cancer gene if you have that 
then you have 97% of other genes sitting here that are actually triggering that. So how do we we work with these? Well, we work with this with the environment. And, and like, we know nothing. Mm. We know nothing. When I read research like this, I go, you thought you knew everything with 3% of our genome in the genome project? Mm. And now you're telling me 97% was junk? And now you're going, oops, we made a mistake. It was something else. So it's just, it, it gets very frustrating. And so... Do you think there's a chance that we'll... Do you think the human beings almost have to go to the extreme in order to come back? Do you think we've, you know, we got so excited in the 50s and 60s bringing in these new chemicals and these new foods and these new breakthroughs, like what you were saying, and, and now we've almost taken it too far where there's so many illness, now people are starting to question again. Do you think humans do this, that we have to go to the extreme in order to understand the medium or the balance or the right place? I actually think science is narcissistic. I actually do. You're right. I, I really do. I think... Um, their belief, they, they actually have these cherished beliefs. God, don't tell me we're trying to create more cancers so that we're going to have a hero that stops the cancer. Is that jeepers? Uh, <sighs> it's pro- like, I actually don't think in the beginning that any of this was malicious. I actually think in the beginning there was a noble cause to all of this. But now we know better. We've got to stop this. And they actually know, you know... If, if but they won't stop it because there's so much so funding money. behind exactly. it with the pharmaceutical companies. And it's the pharmaceutical companies and the giant conglomerates that are actually running our countries and running our worlds. And, I mean, it's all so... It's all so um, contrived. So, I mean, how, does, how, do we, how do we actually... I mean, unless we just concentrate on, the, on, the, on ourselves... If we stop buying we... the stuff that they're selling, if we stop believing everything they're doing is that the way as a consumer we can make a difference just don't believe propaganda find it like this is why we're doing this this is why we're doing this podcasting is that we're all researchers we all go out looking mm. we're giving you what we found mm. we've done as much as we can we're giving you what we found now read more of our information understand you know where we're coming from then the, you know the whole of the wellness couch will give you new avenues to go to in order to get information. We have no financial gain behind this. Mm. We're just here, you know, sitting around a table, giving information to people so that they can at least improve their lives, mentally, physically and chemically. And we're never going to stop the conglomerates. We're never going to stop the multinationals. We're never going to stop the, the, the propaganda and the marketing and advertising. But become savvy, become like informed mm. and don't run with the crowd because we said that in our very first podcast we said if you don't want to be a statistic don't do what everybody else is doing and everybody is eating these foods and taking these drugs and getting very sick and spending a long time debilitated mm. and we have children with autism Asperger's and they're saying it's genetic this is what's and it's mm. more prevalent now than it's ever been I don't know how they can say that it's genetic but they do they say there's a gene to autism Asperger's well, then that's just, I mean, that just, I guess, in, in, in and of itself, relieves all the big players. It relieves them of all responsibility for their contribution to the environment. And it relieves us of all contribution to our own wellness and health, which then makes us more reliant on the pharmaceutical companies and everybody that's at the top wins. <laughs> when we're just a bunch of ignorant pawns that are just being played like puppets. I mean, I... I'm sitting here feeling quite furious, quite frankly. Mm, mm. Really, because when you when you really, or I'm really analysing it now, I'm really looking at it um, from a perspective that I haven't looked at it before. And I'm, I'm feeling quite infuriated that we're just being, if this is true, um, manipulated in order to drive votes, in order to drive revenue, and to keep the perpetual cycle of human illness well and truly alive so that it, it, it keeps the fat cats fat. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Mm. And we don't want to keep... The, the only way you're not going to keep the fat cats fat is you don't support them by buying things with your money, that you support your local community, that you change your environment, that you believe that you have a, a total... It's, it's almost empowering when people realise that mm. they can... They, they're not just going down this pathway that their genes have told them that that's where they've got to go. They actually are empowered to make the changes, and they will make the changes. When they, when they, their belief changes, their actions will change. And you know that, Karen. Mm. 
Mm. Now, when people's beliefs about themselves change, their actions change about what they do in their environment. And 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 we also know that um, when they believe that they can manipulate mm. their genetic potential, then they can they be very empowered and change everything. You know, I think I think what we've done here is, for want of a better word, opened a big can of worms. Um, <laughs> and depending on which flavour worm you like to eat um, will depend on which path you want to take. But I really value the research, the knowledge and the, the information you allow us to share with. You know, you give so freely. And, and I really think that if we can... At least you've taught me, if nothing else, many, many things. But the one thing you've taught me, Cindy, is to question. I will ask why you're giving me this or why should I have fluoride in my toothpaste or why should I have um, a supplement when a food can do it. Like, why? You know, I do ask that all mm. the time. So perhaps if, if there's nothing else to take from this, and trust me, I've got a lot out of it, it's, it's my, my absolute love and respect for you helping us, who perhaps don't know as much as you do, to question. Mm. I think that is question, question everything. Mm. Well, I think our beautiful conversation of Up for a Chat's come to a close. I just want to thank you both wholeheartedly for your contribution and we look forward to hearing from you if you have any questions or if you've got any information you'd like to ask further. And trust me, no question is a dumb question, as you found out. (laughs) Um, How can we contact you, Cindy? Well, go on the Facebook page and just ask questions at Changing Habits. They can also ask questions at... 28, which is 20 and the number 8, on your Facebook page. And Karen, on your Facebook page, they can ask questions there as well. Yeah, absolutely, on my Karen Smith page. Which is C-A-R-R-E-N and the normal Smith. And the normal Smith. Who's actually quite not that normal, but that's okay. (laughs) We'll carry on. It's got something to do with my genes. (laughs) Have a great day. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.